Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you all. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, we had a fun celebration here. We had so many people here at the first service on Thursday. Felt like something was wrong. Like <laughs> coronavirus is just doing that to us, making us uncomfortable with crowds of people. But uh, it was great to be together and celebrate. Hope you had great celebrations of your own. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tim Rinquist. I'm the executive pastor here. And I have the pleasure of closing out the year 2020. Who's ready? Who's ready to put this one in the books? I don't know if you uh, remember this, but I actually started out the year as well. <clears throat> so I'm the bookends to the year 2020. And um, when, when we started the year, I preached on Hebrews chapter 12 about the race of faith. And uh, it's a kind of a I told you so moment, but I said the race of faith is hard and it's going to be hard and we need to look to Jesus and the finish line in order to run the race of faith in 2020, I said. And who would have known that we would have seen the start of a worldwide pandemic? Churches and businesses shut down across the country. Massive racial tensions, record unemployment, a global economic downturn, a hotly contested presidential election, not to mention a shortage of toilet paper, COVID haircuts, remote schooling, mask battles, and quarantines. We saw a large increase in the number of deaths from previous years. We saw suicides, record divorce rates, and an increase in general anxiety, depression, and despair. What a year. What a year. And as I reflected on this last year and I thought about what could even face us in this next year, uh, I felt led to take us to the Psalms, specifically Psalm 46 today. And that's what we're going to be looking at. As we close out this crazy year of 2020 and we look forward to 2021 with some uncertainty, hear the words of Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved." God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray and ask God to be our teacher this morning. Father, as we look at this psalm, would you reveal yourself to us? I know that I come here tired. Many of us come here tired from... It's a long and difficult year. As we look at this psalm, would you encourage us? Would you give us perspective on what really matters? 
And would you use this time to prepare us for the things we will face in this next year? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we live in a culture that likes control. Have you noticed this? We have climate-controlled homes. We have cruise-control cars. We have rent control, remote controls. We have birth control. We have gun control, and we have crowd control. We've gotten really good at that last one this year. And if you stop and think about it, control is all about getting your circumstances to work out the way that you want. And normally that works out just fine. You, you know what to expect and what you expect happens. And then the year 2020 came. And what the coronavirus and all the other issues made very clear to me, and I'm sure to you, is that I am not in control. And neither are you. The truth is, chaos is never far from our lives. The chaos, our own chaos, the chaos of others, is not far from our lives. And this has always been the case uh, for us as individuals. You know, that the phone rings when it's unexpected, and that person's calling at the time they normally wouldn't call, and you get the news. Or you hear about a friend or family member who has a health situation. Or you go into the office, when we used to go into offices, uh, you go into the office and you think everything's normal, and then you find out you no longer work there. And the reality of chaos enters your life. And as I said, this has always been happening to us as individuals, but this year something unique happened. We're experiencing all of this stuff together at the same time. When the pandemic started, schools, offices, libraries, even churches, restaurants, and so many things shut down their physical presence, and we all collectively became aware of the presence of chaos in our world. Question for you, how have you been dealing with the chaos that you find yourself in? Another way to say is, when chaos comes, where do you turn? Statistically, we know that many people turn to alcohol, drugs, and other unhealthy vices. Streaming services took off as people binge-watched TV. Myself and many others found ourselves at Home Depot doing home projects. Many, uh, many people bought chocolate. Chocolate went up. Gambling increased. And homemade sourdough bread multiplied in biblical proportions as <laughs> people cooked at home. Anecdotally, I've also just observed a lot of people just got angry. Just angry at the government, angry at the restrictions, angry at what's happening to so many people as a result of all this. And I'm not here to argue who's right or wrong. It doesn't exactly matter. But to point out that these are all just ways to deal with the chaos we find ourselves in. They're just responses to cope with the chaos we find ourselves in. We are not in control. We cannot master the circumstances that we're experiencing. And that's a hard thing. This dynamic of control and chaos, it's really nothing new. People have experienced it throughout time, and that's actually what's happening here in Psalm 46. We see examples of people, the people of God, responding to the chaos that they find themselves in. And the psalm gives us direction for how to navigate the uncertainties of life. 
And uh, we're going to see three things in this psalm uh, real briefly. We're going to see the call, or chaos, the calm, and the conclusion. Three things. First, let's look at the chaos. The psalm begins with, the, with chaos in verses 2 and 3. It says this, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. <clears throat> Here we see one kind of terrifying form of chaos. It's the chaos of creation. One commentator talks about this and says, it's a moment of creation being undone. Because in day three of creation, the waters were separated and the dry land appeared. And now it's all being undone. It's all coming apart. And the chaos of creation is here. Then in verses four through seven, we read about another picture. And this time it's a city that's under siege by an army. We see the city of God in need of God's help because we read the nations are raging and the kingdoms totter. This picture isn't as familiar to us because we don't really have sieges that happen to us very often. But, but in, in the ancient world, cities would often be built on high places, mountains or hills, and they would build really thick walls to surround them to protect these cities because they would come under attack. And uh, I'm sure you can imagine how terrifying this would feel to be surrounded in a siege. And one of two things would happen. Either they would try and attack and, and come against the city until they overwhelm the defenses, or they would just surround it and wait. It's like the ultimate stay-at-home order. You're just, you're just waiting. You're just, they're waiting uh, to starve the people, or maybe they'll try and poison the water supply or do something to get them out of the city. And it's, it's this picture of chaos, of feeling totally out of control in a city under siege. Now, today we don't really understand that picture as well because we have fences, not walls. Think about a fence. The purpose of a fence is to make you feel like your neighbor is not encroaching on you, but it's really not preventing anyone from coming in. A fence isn't very strong. It just gives you a sense of separation. But I think we do feel the picture of creation falling apart. The coronavirus really is an example of the fallenness of creation. Setting aside conspiracy theories for a second, just if you will, um, the coronavirus, we, we have no idea where the coronavirus came from. We know how it spread, but, but we don't know where it came from. It's just there. And it's a picture of the brokenness and the fallenness of creation. Creation is coming undone. We are not in control. Have you felt that way at all this year? Out of control, helpless in the face of chaos. I know I have. When it became clear that transmission was happening in our local community here in March, um, and we even had some suspected cases of the coronavirus here in the congregation, but we couldn't even tell, we couldn't even figure that out because they didn't even have tests yet, the elders of this church met for probably four hours one night to make a plan and see how we were going to respond. And we decided to shut the doors of the church, something that's never happened in the history of the church. And we began to get word of supply chain issues and the potential of overwhelmed hospitals. 
And then I remember um, being in lockdown at home, standing in my kitchen, and the thought occurred to me, which I would ne- never thought this would have occurred to me, do I need to buy water for my family? And then the follow-up thought was, what would we do if the electricity went out or our cell phones stopped working? We wouldn't be able to contact anybody. And in that moment, I just felt the chaos of it all. To be honest, it's really not just a past thought. You know, questions like that still occur to me today. What if the church falls apart? It hasn't yet, but it's been a really hard year. What if my pregnant wife and unborn child get the coronavirus? They're at higher risk. Or our parents who are high risk. Or just more generally, something we're all wondering is, what's going to happen with the economy in our country? And I don't really have answers or solutions to any of those questions. There are so many things to worry about. It can, can feel like the world's just falling apart. Or like we're surrounded and enemies are closing in. And that's the chaos we see in this psalm. Thankfully, it's not the only thing we see in this psalm. We see pictures of chaos, but we also see pictures of calm. In verse 1, we read, as, as the world is falling apart, we read this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then in verses 4 through 7, we read, with the city under siege, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In the middle of all of that chaos, we see this offer of complete calm. Not in the changing of the circumstances, but in the refuge that God provides. See, in the middle of difficult circumstances, the kind of refuge that you have matters. I'm reminded of a a story that my wife's family tells um, of friends they had from their church in Wisconsin whose house was hit by a tornado. And it goes like this. They're, they heard that a tornado was coming, and so the family rushed down into the basement. And when they were down there, one of the, the little girls um, remembered that she left her stuffed animal upstairs. And so she started to walk upstairs. And the mom said, stop, get back down here right now. And she stopped, and she walked back downstairs. And moments later, the top of their house was taken off by a tornado. Now, that was always told to my wife, like, you know, this is why you listen to your parents. A tornado could get you. Be sure to obey. But, no, it highlights the fact that in the middle of a storm, the kind of refuge that you have matters. If you go outside, if you went outside today and you didn't have the right equipment with you, you could die just of simple exposure to the elements. And in a tornado or a strong enough hurricane, even a house might not be enough of a shelter. The kind of refuge you have matters. 
And the psalmist here says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And that's in the face of the world falling apart. Friends, the nature of what's going on is well beyond our ability to manage it. And even if you're navigating COVID all right, maybe it's not really affecting you and your little part of the world too much, there are other storms coming. That your refuge, whether that's your stock market portfolio or your job stability, or we have some preppers, their food supplies, or whatever else you turn to, will not be able to protect you from. And some of those could be tangible things like other viruses or economic issues, disasters. But for sure, something is coming that none of those things will protect you from. Your own mortality. Your death. And it doesn't matter how strong you think you are or the refuges you make for yourself. You will not be strong enough to weather that storm on your own. You need a refuge beyond yourself. And that's what God offers his people. It's like the picture of a hurricane. All around on the outside of the hurricane, there's wind and rain. Things are getting destroyed. But in the center of a hurricane, it's completely calm. It's often sunny and nice. And, and that's what we see here in this psalm. Uh, the great reformer Martin Luther experienced this reality. His town of Wittenberg was hit by an outbreak of the bubonic plague in 1527 for several months, and people began to die all around him. His son actually contracted the virus, or the, the plague, and um, almost died as well. At the same time, it's, it's in the heat of the Reformation, he's, he has all of these people who are opposing his ministry and opposing his work, and he just felt like the people in this psalm, like the world was falling apart, and like he was surrounded by enemies. And it's at this time he wrote uh, one of his most famous hymns based on Psalm 46. It's called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It goes like this, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark, a wall of defense, never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, or Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. This great hymn says that God is our only sure refuge. Everything else has a clear breaking point. It will only take you so far. This year I've, I've needed a refuge and maybe you have as well. And for me, finding refuge in God really has looked like prayer. Uh, just a confession, I'm a terrible prayer. I'm like task-oriented, so it's like, you know, figure something out, make a plan, follow through on the plan, and see the result you expected. That's how, you know, I like life to work, but that's not at all how prayer works. But this year, 
I find that I'm actually praying a lot more than I can ever remember because there's nothing else I can do. There's really nothing else I can do to control my circumstances. And in that sense, 2020 has actually been a gift. Can I just offer something for you to consider? You may think I'm totally wrong. What if the events of 2020 are not just a complete disaster? What if God is using the terrible events of this year to give us more of the thing we need most of all? To give us more of the greatest gift ever, which is, of course, himself. What if the separation, isolation, and suffering actually point us to a greater need and a deeper source of life and comfort? What if they point us to a refuge that can never fail, to a help that is stronger than any trouble, to a hope greater than any fear, a joy in the midst of any trial, and a presence that is with us through every storm? Is it possible that God could be at work bringing good out of something that looks, and let's just be honest, is really terrible in the moment. Just maybe. He has been known to do that. Can we agree that dying on a cross is a bad, just a bad thing? But when God is at work, something that's bad can be turned into the most beautiful and redemptive act in all of history. When God is involved, bad things aren't just bad. They can be redeemed. They can form our character. They can loosen our grip on lesser things. And they can be used in ways that we can never imagine. I hope the lessons of this year have not been lost on you and on me. If we've learned anything, I hope that we're more clear than ever before that only God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We have nowhere else to turn. I mean, this is such an easy message. It's like there's nothing else. Such a hard message, too. But when we turn to him, we find refuge and calm in the middle of the storm. Just like the people of God in this psalm. But that's not quite the end of the psalm. There's one last thing. We saw the chaos, the calm, and now the conclusion. And the question here is, how do we know that God can be trusted? How can we be confident that the refuge he offers is sound? In verses 4 through 7, we read, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The psalmist tells us, Come and behold the works of the Lord. And in this section, we're given a picture. It's, it's the aftermath of a battle. It's actually a picture of the future. It's a prophetic vision of what will 
be. And I, I love how one pastor, Legan Duncan, describes this scene. He says, this picture is used by the psalmist to remind us of God's power to protect us against anything by showing his complete victory over the forces arrayed against us. It's a final picture, a picture of the future when the challenges facing the people of God in this fallen world are ended. We see a picture of the conclusion. And that's meant to bring us calm in the middle of the chaos. It's, it's kind of like this. When I was 12 years old, I decided to read the Lord of the Rings books. I started with The Hobbit and then Fellowship of the Ring, and I was in the middle of two towers. And the tension was just getting so great as I read these books that I, I, I did something I've never done again because it totally ruins the book. But I grabbed the last book, and I flipped to the last page. And I read that last page. Now, if you're here and you're reading Lord of the Rings and you don't want to have the ruin, ending ruined, cover your ears. But I found out that Frodo was fine. He survived the, the oryx, the giant spider, the volcanoes, Smeagol. He was just fine. And I knew in that moment that everything would be okay, even though I was still in the middle of the story. And that new knowledge transformed the way I read the rest of the story. I was completely calm because I knew how it ended. That's what we're given here in this psalm. We're given a glimpse of the conclusion that gives us calm in the middle of the chaos. We're told a day is coming when God will secure complete and total victory, when every threat to God's people will be neutralized and all the chaos will be subdued. And this knowledge is meant to transform us as we navigate things like viruses and sickness and job loss and fear of the unknown and even death itself. We're called to behold, see what God will do. And then in verse 10 we read, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And this section's often been read like, you know, cozy up in a chair and be still and just kind of reflect and think about that God is God, and that's really not at all what it's saying. See, we just read about a battle scene where God's bringing desolations on the earth, he's destroying the weapons of war, and he's exalted among the nations, and he protects his people against the raging nations before, and it's in that context he says, be still and know that I am God. What's being communicated here is more like the idea of stop it, quit, cease, desist. When I tell my children, be still, I have young, small children, they were actually running up here before. Um, when I tell them, be still, I'm not like sit down and quietly reflect. I'm like, stop it. Stop pinching your sister. Stop running around. Be, stop, cease. And that's what's being communicated here. Be still is a call to surrender. You are not God. I am not God. You and I are not in control. Recognize his power. Recognize his coming victory. And live your life accordingly. That's what we're being told. And what this means for us today is if, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, thank you for joining us. 
I'm, I'm glad that you chose to be here. I hope this time is an encouragement to you. But what this psalm is saying is if you're fighting against God, stop. Give up. There is a God who is ultimately in control and will have complete victory one day. He will be exalted among the nations. So stop fighting against him and surrender. Be still and know that he is God. If you're a follower of Jesus, which many of us are, there's also a call to us as well, and it's a call to surrender. Surrender control. Surrender your circumstances. Surrender the hopes and dreams that you have that maybe don't look like they're going to come together. God is God, and he will ultimately have the victory. So stop. Be still. And those who do this will find refuge in him and victory in everything that really matters. Now this section ends with um, two lines which I I think are so beautiful. In verse 11, we read uh, these two statements. They're actually repeated from verse 7 as well. But it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now the Lord of hosts is a picture of power. Host is just another word for armies, so it's like a military picture. This God of power who is strong is with you, we're told. And then it says the God of Jacob is our fortress. And I love this last line because it's not what you would expect. See, you you might think that the psalmist would say the God of David the great conquering king of Israel, or, or the God of Moses is with you, the great man who led the people out of Egypt, or the God of Abraham, the father of, of the nation who trusted and obeyed God. That's the God who's with you. But it says the God of Jacob. And I love that it says that. One Jewish commentator points out, that Jacob is a swindler, a liar, and a charlatan. He steals a birthright from his own brother and then cowardly flees the family. Jacob lacks the courage to face his crime. Jacob is a fearful man, often paired in the text with the word fear, announcing his reason for fleeing Laban as, I was afraid. And yet God identifies himself as the God of Jacob He goes on and says this. We learn that he is not deterred by our failings or weakness. Instead, it's the reverse. It's in those weaknesses that he is strong and can show his strength. And when we are afraid, we can hear the call of the Lord. Do not fear, for I am with you. How encouraging is that? God is not just powerful and strong He's also overwhelmingly gracious to people who aren't perfect, people like Jacob, people who don't deserve it. He becomes the God of weak and fearful people like you and like me. And this is the God who's with us, we're told. In Christmas, we just celebrated Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And this psalm actually all points to Jesus in ways that you might not expect. 
You see, Jesus, through his death on the cross and his resurrection, delivers us from the greatest enemies that surround us. Satan, sin, and death. Not just foreign armies. And he gives us actually a better covenant than the one that Jacob received that assures the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And he actually gives us a safer and more secure city. The city of God. The new Jerusalem, we're told in the Bible. Jesus is our refuge now and forever. Friends, surrender to him and his work in your life, even when it's hard and even when it doesn't make sense. Run to him and find refuge. Rest in his love. Trust in his care, even as the chaos surrounds you. You don't have to do anything. We're not told to do anything, but behold and be still. Surrender. And the promise of this psalm is that you will find refuge, a fortress, an ever-present help. You will find the Lord of armies and the God who made a covenant with imperfect Jacob is ready and willing to protect you and to care for your deepest needs. I'll close with this story. Um, John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist movement, a great man of faith, um, in the 1700s was on his deathbed and he tried to share his final thoughts with the family and friends that had gathered around him. And one of the people who was there recorded what happened. And they wrote, Finding we could not understand what he said, he paused a little. And then with all the remaining strength that he had, he cried out, Best of all is... What do you think he said? Best of all is, we'll get back to normal soon. Or best of all is, in a couple months we won't have to wear these silly masks. Or best of all is, the vaccine is here. Or best of all is, the finances look like they'll hold up. Of course not. Because in that moment, everything becomes clear. Or at least it should. And we read, with all the remaining strength that he, he had, he cried out, best of all is, God is with us. And then as if to assert the faithfulness of our promise-keeping Jehovah and comfort the hearts of his weeping friends, lifting up his dying arm in token victory and raising his feeble voice with a holy triumph, not to be expressed again, he repeated the heart-reviving words, best of all is, God is with us. It's been a really hard year. And I mean this, God only knows what next year will hold. And the question today is, where will you find refuge? And the people of God have found throughout the ages, in the most difficult of circumstances, through famines and sieges and plagues and tsunamis and tornadoes, world wars and pandemics, in the face of political unrest, racism, economic disaster, the death of loved ones, and even their own death, they have discovered 
that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Run to him and find refuge. Let's pray. Father, you know that I am just tempted to look to my circumstances for my sense of security, for refuge. Forgive me and forgive all of us when we fail to see how you are at work, when we resist your call to be still and surrender. You are God, we are not. Help us to find refuge in you this next year. Make us a people who trust you, come what may. Whether that's herd immunity, peace and prosperity, or sickness, difficulty and poverty. We want to trust you. Help us to trust you more. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.